Hey everyone, I'm, I'm Anthony. I'm a first year engineering and physics student. Uh, and I'm, I didn't have a fun fact, I'm sorry. I uh, forgot about that. Anyway, <laughs> fun fact, I forgot about the fun fact. Uh, we're going to be reading from Romans 4, uh, verse 23, to Romans 5, chapter 5, verse 11. Give you some time to answer the issues. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering it produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were, we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. See you guys here at lunchtime today, out of the rain, uh, dry, and uh, ready to hear uh, God's word. Can anyone be sure that they're right with God? Can you be sure that you are right with God? Like 100% totally confidently sure? The answer to that question, the answer to that God wants you to know from the passage today, from his word to us today, is yes, you can be 100% sure. He wants you to be 100% sure that you are right with him, and you can be right with him. Last week, we looked at chapter 4 of Romans. If you're not sure what chapter 4 of Romans even means, because you just joined us today, it's part of God's word, written by God's representative, Paul, to the church in Rome. That's why we call it Romans. It's God speaking through Paul to the people in Romans, in Rome and to us today. Now, if you remember back from last week, if you were with us, in Romans 4, Paul argued thoroughly and relentlessly. It was We had to follow his logic to show that all the way back from Abraham, that thousands of years ago, through to David, all the way through God's word in the Old Testament, he was arguing that 
God's promise is that you will be right with him by trusting in his promise, trusting in his word. And if you did that, if you put your trust in his promise, then you would be considered right with God, even though in yourself you are not righteous at all. You're a sinful scumbag. But if you trust God's promise, just like Abraham did, just like David did, if you trust God's promise that you'll be right with him, then you are right with him. Now, that was chapter 4. And uh, Paul was at pains to take us through uh, some pretty treacherous logic, some relentless logic to try and prove that point. It is such an important point for us. And that's the thing that came through at the end of last week and the end of the passage that was the top of our passage from Romans 4.23. But the words, it was counted to him, that's Abraham, were not written for Abraham's sake alone. It was also for us. And that's a big thing for us today that God's wanting to tell us today is this is not just a historical document that we're reading back into. This is God speaking to you today. That's what Paul's saying. It was written back then, but it wasn't just for Abraham. It was for us today so that you can be 100% sure that if you are trusting in Jesus, then you are right with him. This whole section in chapter 5 is all for us. It's for you. And you've just got a whole heap of statements there, points down the page. This today is all about you, what's for you. It's not really all about you, it's what's for you. So as we get looking into it, how about I lead us in prayer that God might help us understand his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. We thank you so much for the rain that you've sent, Lord. It's tremendous to have rain here in this part of the world. But Lord, we do thank you for your word that you've given us. Uh, which does refresh us, and Lord, that you are wanting us to hear and understand now. Help me be able to explain it well for us to respond right. Amen. Yep, this whole section is for us, so that we can be confident of our standing with God. And then chapter 5, with this confidence, begins to spell out the extraordinary blessings that flood to us from being right with God. That's what this whole chapter is about. And it's a, it reminds me of the time when I called Centrelink. I know, back in 2000, it was the year 2000. Some of you might have been born that year. I rang in Centrelink in 2000 to say that my wife would no longer need Ausstudy. We were both studying at time at Bible College and both getting Ausstudy. My wife will no longer need Ostudy. Could you please cease the payments because she's now pregnant and she's going to have a baby and we don't want to receive any more Ostudy and then have to pay it back. And expecting further mountains of forms, uh, further lining up, take a packed lunch with you to Centrelink back in those days with a thermos and stand in line, ready for the next. And the woman said, oh, okay, rightio. Can you come into Centrelink on Saturday, into Marrickville? Uh, anyway, but was Centrelink open on Saturdays? 
She said, no, they're not open on Saturday. But can you come in on Saturday? <laughs> yes, we'll come in on Saturday. So we went in on Saturday. And we were personally welcomed at the door. The door was locked. The door came to the door. The door's open. We went in. We were ushered in. We were the only ones there. We were ushered into this section where normally there's people lining up hours and hours. And we walked straight through. There's no one there. To an interview room with, with her. And she sat down and she said, when's the baby due? Oh, a few months' time. And uh, she said, oh, cool. Well, when the baby's born, you'll be able to receive a few more things. A maternity allowance, lump sum of about $4,000 uh, straight up, immunisation allowance, uh, full parenting payment, family tax benefit part A and part B in full, <laughs> Um, off study will continue for you, Rob. Rent assistance will be full rent assistance, and you'll continue to have healthcare card and all of the other benefits you're already receiving. And she had all these forms there. And I said, well, Do I have to fill all the, these out? And she said, No, don't worry about filling all those out. I've got all my documents. You never go to Centrelink without all your documents, who you are, um, and everything. She said, No, don't worry, I'll fill them out for you. That's fine. Uh, on your way. And sure enough, Lily, our eldest, was born, and all these things just started flooding through to us. Why? It's, this is Centrelink. <laughs> <laughs> because we were in right standing with the government. <laughs> because at the time, the government was desperate for people to have babies. Because we were, the, the population rate was going down. And so anyone was, who was going to have a baby would throw money at you. And it was more things than we'd ever received in a lifetime. The blessings flowed from that one action, from that one thing. And that's what we see here. Just like the one thing that God has done for us, it's a huge thing in Jesus. And blessings flow such that what do we have? Well, that first gap that you've got there, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Peace with God. What is this peace that we have with God? It's not necessarily peace of mind, though it could result in that, or peacefulness. It's the idea of shalom. It's the Hebrew idea that's behind what Paul is, the whole the Paul worldview, Jewish worldview of Everything in its right place, at peace, wholeness, goodness, well-being, things as they should be. It's not just a ceasefire uh, or the or a peace treaty. It's everything put right where it should be. The problems are dealt with, not just ignored. We've been in situations where there's problems, and you need just to deal with it. You just build a fence, and you don't deal with the problem. You just created space. Yeah, good, but that doesn't deal with the problem. Here this is hard-won peace where the problems are dealt with. I remember hearing a couple of weeks ago, it was a first-year student saying, I can't remember who it was, it was probably just as well, saying um, the 1980s was such a peaceful decade. Uh, it wouldn't have been great to live in, in the 80s. I mean, I grew up in the 80s, and there wasn't a lot of worldwide conflicts. There were certain conflicts happening around the world, nothing huge, nothing that we're involved in, but there was very little peace. I tell you at the time, with the Cold War between the USSR, Russia and the West, 
Everyone is expecting nuclear war at any turn. At any turn, the Berlin Wall kept east from west and was a symbolic. This is a no-go zone. We are at war. Guns weren't firing, but there was no peace. Peace with God is a fully worked-out peace, restored where the hostilities have been dealt with through Jesus Christ. There's no simmering tensions. There's no sort of outstanding fines. There's no uh, hidden tricks. There's there's nothing that's going to come out in the end where it's like, ah, oh, we didn't realise that was such a problem, and now it's a problem. Like graduating without having paid your library fines oh, back from first year. You can't graduate until you pay. I knew there was a trick. No, this is fully worked out peace through Jesus. That's what his death and resurrection for us have done. Gotten rid of everything that could be a catch, and we can be completely confident. Two, verse two, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We are granted access. This is not just granted access to a few more cool options for life that we can choose from later on. Free ticket access. This will be great for some time in the future. No, it is access into this grace in which we do stand. That is, grace is kindness, unmerited favour. We are ushered personally, as if sort of ushered by the elbow, into God's presence in which we stand before God, right with God. I don't think it scares you the idea of standing before God. But in grace we stand before God without embarrassment, without shame, without sort of thinking, oh, what am I supposed to say now? What am I supposed to do? I can wear the right clothes. No, we're at total peace with God. And graciously we're in his presence. We stand in his presence. It's where we're meant to be. And it's Grace, it's personal, it's warm. It's not like the impersonal institutional welcome that you get from, say, UOW, sort of at graduation time, where the vice-chancellor doesn't know who you are. vice-chancellor thinks you're a great person. You've come to his university. He doesn't know who you are. Your dean of students, the dean of your faculty doesn't know who you are. Your lecturers and students barely know who you are, probably. And they're happy with that, and you're happy with that most of the time. But here, you personally are known by God and loved by God, and grace testifies to that. Because we're standing in grace, not for just some ceremonial visit where we sort of are there, God welcomes us in, we hope to tip the hat, and away we go. This is where we stand. This is our place. This is where we're meant to be. And standing there, verse 2, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. To hope is to wait. To wait expectantly. We're waiting for the glory of God. 
you might think, well, if we're standing in grace, in God's presence already, isn't the glory of God right there for us to see? Well, I think the glory of God here is actually our glory, which is God's. It's not a glory of ourselves, but is the glory of God that he restores to us. What glory is that? The glory that we should have had as created humans. Psalm 8 sort of testifies to it. As David's thinking about Genesis 1 and 2, he writes, What is man for that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels and then crowned him with glory and honour. See, that is the role of humanity in the world, in creation, before sin, to have dominion and have God's glory. But what do we do in sin? Well, we fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. We fall short of ruling the world with the glory that God meant for us to have, which God had bestowed on us. We are at right standing in, with God in grace through Jesus. And so we are waiting expectantly for the glory of God to be revealed again in us, Romans 8.19. We're waiting for that. And more than that, verse 3, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who's been given to us. So, more than that. It's not more than that in the sense of better than that, but like on top of that. On top of that, we rejoice in suffering. Well, what are we? Why are we rejoicing in suffering? What's that about? It's not rejoicing in the experience of suffering, sort of masochistically, we know he just love the suffering, they hit me again, you know, oh, that's good, that's great. It's not enjoying suffering in and of itself, but what the suffering produces, it produces endurance and character, and character produces hope, and hope such that we won't be ashamed, we won't be let down. Perhaps... <laughs> I don't usually like using illustrations for, from sport, especially rugby league. It's a bit too cheap, but it, I think it works here. Um, rugby league players put their bodies through significant suffering. If you play, if you've played front row, you will know that feeling. I never have, um, but they do. The guys who, who take the ball up first, they run full pelt into the defensive pack and bang. It hurts, sometimes more than others. Do they do it going, oh, I love this hurt? It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. But then they get up and they do it again. Do they want to do it again? Yes. Why? Why do they want to do that? Is it to secure victory? Like, if I keep doing this, we're going to win the game. Well, yes, that's what rugby league players do. Uh, then hope of winning the game. But that's not why we do it here. Because the victory is already secured. It's not like, oh, we have to endure because we hope that Jesus wins. No, that is not the point. Jesus has won already. We do it to produce 
endurance, develop character, and secure hope. That sounds like the reason why we rejoice in sufferings. But I don't think it's the reason. It's important, but we'll come back to see how rejoicing in suffering fits in. But we rejoice in suffering because, verse 5, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. See, we experience God's love. We've experienced God's love. God's love is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. See, if we're justified, if we're made right with God, we have God's Spirit within us, and come back to see that in chapter 8. Paul's going to expand big time on the Spirit in chapter 8, such that we know God's love and it's poured into our hearts. It's the, the experience that we have. You might think, hang on, have I experienced God's love in my heart? What is that? What is it like? Waves of love washing over me? What is that? Well, yes, God's love is poured into your heart. Yeah, depending on what your heart is like and what God finds there, depends on whether it's going to be waves of love or whether it's going to be a wrestling out of a well-won peace to bring your heart to wholeness. But God's love is poured into it. It's an experiential thing. You will feel it. If you feel absolutely zilch, zero, then there's a problem. If it's a wrestle uh, and, a, and uh, a dealing with your heart, it's a great sign of God's love being poured into your heart. If it's waves of love rejoicing in what God has done for you, well, there's God's spirit being poured into your heart. If you just have zero reaction whatsoever, like, oh, where can I get a burger? I've just, you know, what's, God's, Jesus died for you. Oh, that's wonderful. How about a fast bar? Where can I get one around here? That's a problem, isn't it? The Spirit's been poured into our heart. God's love has been poured into our heart by the Spirit. And when? Well, sorry, God's love is also based on this objective occurrence in history. Verse 6, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, it's on the basis of being shown God's love. We are shown God's love. When? While we were still sinners. That's when Christ died for us. Remember back to Romans chapter 1, verse 18. I'll read it for you. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Or turn over to, uh, I'll read it for you, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. But for those who are self-seeking, who do not obey the truth, 
but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. See, that is the description of the ungodly. That is, the, that is what's going to happen to the ungodly. What Paul is saying here is Christ died for the ungodly. Not when we look like that we might be nice people. Not when we look like we might be having it all together. And we had a good day when we did a couple of good things and God said, yeah, I think I might save them. No, it's we who were the Romans 1.18, who destined for, for wrath because we were, lived in ungodliness. Christ died for us then. I mean, Paul underlines it here. Verse 7, um, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person. I don't know if you know righteous people. If you meet righteous type people in the world, most people don't like them. Oh, I can't stand that guy. Oh, he's so self-righteous. Like, wouldn't die for him. I'd be glad for him to be gone. Not die for him. But maybe a good person. I mean, people are motivated by good causes, aren't they? See, I'll give to a good cause. That's another good cause. I'll give some money to that cause. Well, that's a good person. I'll give to them. And in an extreme situation, someone might possibly give their life for a good person. But God's love is seen that when we were when we were sinners, when we were actively rebelling against him, Christ died for us. Christ died for you. C.H. Spurgeon wrote um, in one of his reflections on, on this passage, we were neither righteous nor yet good, yet Christ died for us. And he recounts a story. Oh, said a little boy once to his mother, I do not think so much of Christ dying for men. I think I would be willing to die if I could save a hundred men by dying. But his mother said, suppose it was a hundred mosquitoes. Would you die for them? Oh, no, he said. I would let the whole of them die. Well, we were much less in comparison with Christ than mosquitoes are in relation to men. Yet he died for us, good-for-nothing creatures that we are. Well, does one say, God shows part of his love to us in many ways, but he shows the whole of his love in giving Christ to die for us. Here you see his heart laid bare, the very heart of God laid open for the inspection of every believing soul. To die for saints would be great love, but to die for sinners? While they are yet sinners and regarding them as sinners, this is love. Well, how much more then? How much more will we be saved? Verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled for all. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, 
we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. See, God has not spared the life of his own son for sinners. He spent everything, so to speak, on us, on you, on me. And we can be more than confident on the day of wrath when it comes that we will be saved. The arguments that Paul's using here, the how much more argument, it's a, using an illustration, it's a bit like if an uncle said to me, Rob, when you turn 50, this isn't the case, by the way, mind you, turning 50 is not the uncle part. Um, when, the, when you turn 50, uh, I'm going to give you an apartment on Cliff Road at North Beach, one of those top-level apartments overlooking the beach. can never be built out. 180-degree view of the ocean and a big balcony. And I'll give you this whopping great big balcony lounge to go on there and sit on it, whatever you like. It's mine. Nice problem. <laughs> Suppose he turns up at my house one day and he says, here's the lounge. I've got the lounge for you. Put that in your garage. What do I think? I think, gee, I hope he gives us the flat, <laughs> the apartment. That'd be nice. <laughs> I'm waiting for it. But what if he instead turns up with the title deeds for the apartment and the keys and says, here they are, apartment's yours. What do I think? Am I hoping for the lounge to turn up? I don't care if the lounge turns up or not. I've got the bigger thing. And if you can come through on the bigger thing, well, I don't care about the smaller thing, but yeah, that'll be great too. What the argument here is, God's done the huge thing, he's given his own son for a sinner to give you life so that when the day comes, you'll be saved. So do you think when the day comes, the day of God's wrath, do you think you'll be saved? Of course, he's done the bigger thing. He will easily bring about the small thing. God is not holding something back from you. It's not a practical joke. It's not a thing you join with God. You think, oh, actually, there was a catch to it. Jesus has won the victory for us, and he wants you to know that this day. He wants you to be confident of that today. He wants you to have total confidence. Why? So that you can persevere. So that you can develop endurance and character in confidence. Come back to the rugby league illustration. The game has been won. The season has been won. At the top of the table, you've won it. It's all sewn up. Jesus has won the victory. It's all done. There's just a few more minutes left on the clock, and you've been asked on the field to run the ball up, and everyone's just brimming with like excitement and victory and the Oppositions on the other, they're trying to gain a few consolation points just to take something home, and you're throwing the ball. What do you do as a football player? What do you do? Do you turn around and run the other direction? Well, I don't want to do that. Or do you kick the ball out, or you take the, do you sort of start taking selfies with the crowd, like, you know, with the ball in your hand and cheering? 
No, you don't. You you be who you're meant to be. That is a football player. So the the glory is is found in, in finishing the job, job doing the thing that you were meant to do. You you run the ball up in confidence that the game's already won. You run the ball up, you drop it, hand it over to the opposition. Ah, you had a mistake. That's all right. Jesus is at fullback. He just tri- strips the ball and gets it back for the team. It's all okay. There's total confidence in Jesus such that you can get on with the job of enduring for him, of living for him, which is what Paul's going to go on and talk about in the rest of the chapter. When you know that you are standing right with God, in God's presence, standing in grace because of the victory Jesus has won, you have confidence and you wait for the hope of the glory of God, you get on living for him, enduring for him, and developing character in confidence in him. Well, where is it for you? Are you sure? Do you have confidence? That's what God is wanting you to understand today. He wants you to have confidence in what he's done for you and the blessings that there are so that you can keep living for him and enduring for him. But perhaps you don't have confidence at all. You don't know where you stand with God. Well, please hear what Paul and what God is saying to you today. That is, he has provided a way for you to be right with him in Jesus. Not because you're a good person. In fact, the only qualification for standing with God in righteousness in rightly is to actually admit that you're a scumbag, that you, you can't get it right, that you've failed God, you're not you don't love God. The only thing you have to do with which is beautiful, isn't it? I put up my hand and say, I sleep, I'm hopeless. I can't do it. I can't live God's way. And God says, No, no, you can't. But Jesus can. Trust him and you'll be right with me. If that's you, you know you're not right with God then put your trust in Jesus. Say to God, I want to be right with you. Thanks for Jesus. Well, I'm going to lead us in prayer. And if that's your prayer, uh, then pray with me. uh, And I'm going to pray for us to have confidence uh, in God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great blessings that you show us that come from being right with you through Jesus. For peace that we have with you, for grace, for standing in grace, for your love that you've poured into our hearts by your spirit, for the great assurance that we have for the, for the day of your wrath that we stand right with you. Help us to grasp hold of these truths so clearly that they might shape the way we live. And Father, for those who are not confident of where they stand with you, give them trust in Jesus. May they turn away from living for themselves and put their trust in Jesus to stand right before you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I think we're going to have some, some prayers. And Carol's going to lead us by the looks of it, and uh, we might have time for questions.
Hi guys, um, I'm Carol. I'm a primary education student and I've got the privilege of playing for us. Um, so please pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you that those who are justified by faith have peace with you that can experience a great, unmeasurable love that has been shown through the death of your son. Thank you for the new committee that were voted in at the AGM this past week. I pray that they will be dedicated to loving you and sharing the good news of Jesus. Let your spirit guide them in their duties for next year, all for your glory. Thank you for the big mission week that the Griffith Christian students in Queensland had, for the big turnout they've had. Let the newcomers respond to the gospel and be built up in Christ through fellowship. As exams and assignments pile I pray that we will do the best we can, and even in the stress and busyness, that we will continue to prioritise you first. Thank you for the rain that you have provided and for the relief it will be to the farmers in the midst of the drought. Please let it continue to rain where it is needed most, and whether it be in a drought or rain, that they will see your sovereignty, putting their trust in you. Father, you are the giver of life, and every life is precious in your eyes. We pray that as the abortion bill continues to be a discussion in our country, that we will proclaim truth with love and gentleness. We ask that you look after and strengthen everyone affected and grieved by this topic, especially those feeling conflict or pressure to go against your will. Build up your church to be caring for and supporting mothers, expecting mothers, children and orphans to show your love to all and the good news of Jesus. We ask that your will be done. Lastly, we pray for the government leaders discussing this issue, that they will do it with wisdom and love. In your name, I pray. Amen. Amen.